everybody. This is the Wild Ass Podcast, and I am your host, Wild Ass Craig. This is episode 37, and in this episode, I get to introduce all of you to Mackenzie Tricker. I got to meet up with and spend a couple days with Mackenzie, her husband, and some mutual friends in October when I was on the road in South Carolina, and she agreed to come on and share her story. If you follow off-road motorcycle racing, you may have heard of her. Mackenzie grew up in Australia and started riding on a mini quad, but unlike most kids, she did not keep it on four wheels. Her dad brought home a PW50. She begged him to take her to the track, and it went from there. In 2011, she moved here to the States, where she would go on to win multiple titles. She won Loretta Lynn's amateur motocross titles in three of her four tries, and most recently, she is the reigning five-time AMA National Enduro Elite Women's Champion. Let's get into her story, and if nothing else, just get her talking so we can listen to the accent. Mackenzie, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's great having you on. I'm super excited to have this one. Yeah, should be good. <laughs> It'll be good. We met through Lacey, let's say a mutual friend. She's a longtime friend of ours. She was Renee's neighbor when she was very little, and uh, she grew up, of course, and then I became friends with her family and her dad, and we're still all really good friends, and I just kind of wanted to find out, how did you two meet? Um, yeah, so I was at Club MX in 2014 and 15, I think. And just prior to that, she was actually there. I think she moved from Minnesota down to kind of try and chase her uh, motocross career. So I didn't actually cross paths with her, but I had known about her, like heard about who she was. And then obviously I was always based in Traveler's Rest. And then we kind of just had some mutual friends and I seen her at some local tracks here in Traveler's Rest. and. Obviously, not being there, not being many women that ride, let alone race around the whole world, you know, and then let alone in a small town of travel dress, we kind of just, you know, like I said, cross paths and kind of became friends. And then the rest is history. Like now we uh, try and catch up pretty regularly. She's a good cook. Um, as you know, we, we, that's where we just hung out recently, went over and Lacey cooked us all dinner. Everybody loves it when Lacey cooks dinner, don't they? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> so that night you came over, you and your husband, Dylan, and one of the better parts of the night was all of us just sitting around on the deck visiting. Yep. And it was yep. there nah, that I got got into your story a little bit. And I'm like, hey, would you come on? And you said, sure, that'd be great. So here we are. Yep. To get into your story, where I'm at in, in the experience I've had, when children start riding on mini quads, they don't typically go to two wheels. And I don't know if it's a fear of motorcycles falling over or what it is but what prompted your dad to bring home a pw50 do you remember not really um like i'm not 100 percent sure i need to find out I, I don't know if my dad raced growing up but i know that he uh always rode motorcycles and i believe when i had that 50 quad i think it was a little suzuki 50 i believe at the time he may have had a dirt bike so maybe that's what led him to getting me a pw50 not really sure but to be honest, I'm glad that he got me two wheels, not four. It's worked out for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How did you talk him into bringing you to the racetrack? Uh, so kind of long story short, my parents growing up own a boat dealership and it was about 30 minutes. The, the dealership at the time was about 30 minutes from my house and uh, we had to pass a little motocross track, a motocross club. Actually, it was a, called Mini Carno. It was Blossom Hills Mini Carno Club. And... Yeah, just obviously passing that pretty pretty regularly. I like just begged my dad, hey, can we take you? And finally, he gave in and, and took me there on, on that little Wee 50 and or P-Dub 50. We call it Wee 50. Uh, P-Dub 50. And uh, yeah, I think we did that a couple of times. And 
then just kind of progressed from there. He got me a, a Husky Vana 50 and yeah, just progressed through the age. Got me a bunch of different bikes. I apologize. I can't remember this, but do you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, I do. I actually have a brother and a sister. And then I also have two stepbrothers now. Um, my parents split up in 2010 and my mom and Rob, they're not, they didn't get remarried, but they've been together oh, 12, 13 years or something. And yes, I have two stepbrothers as well. So did your brother and sister, did they ride motorcycle too? Um, my brother used to ride that little 50 quad. And then I, I believe when my dad got me maybe that Wee 50, he got my, my brother a KX60. And I don't think my brother ever like pushed a race or anything, but he, he knew how to ride. But after I started racing and riding, my brother and sister both also started racing. And my sister did it for a little bit, but she's more of a girly girl. But my brother followed through with it for a while uh, until he was maybe in his later teen years. He got injured a few times and he's pretty smart. So he was he went to university and things like that. And yeah, he was the risk for a reward wasn't worth it to him. And he hung up his boots. But yeah, there for a while, my whole family rode. Um, we would go away on weekends that we had off from racing and go stay out a couple of hours out in the out in the bush or the, I guess, woods, you would say in America, but out, out bush uh, in a place called Lily. And we'd go trail riding as a family. So that was really good growing up because, yeah, my sister and my mom also rode with um, my dad and my brother and myself. That's awesome. I didn't yeah. know that. Cool. Yeah. How old were you when you went to the race the first time? That that I don't really know. I want to say maybe like six or five or six, around maybe even seven. I don't know. It's pretty young. Maybe seven. So this all started with two thousand and one. This all started with you racing, not your brother. Yep. Yep. No, so it was all me. Like we had bikes because because my dad rode a little bit when he was growing up, and my family is is a racing family. My dad actually so so did my mom growing up. They both raced boats. My dad still races boats. So yeah, we just you know had motorcycles and yeah, just begged my dad to take me racing, and then yeah, kind of my brother and sister just followed as I did it. You mentioned earlier to go back to get back to your story, girls riding racing. There's not a lot of them, less of them to live in a very small town like where you live. How's the girls racing scene in Australia? Yeah, like obviously Australia is pretty big. It's uh, the country is not that much smaller than uh, America itself. Just our population is a, a lot smaller. Like I think the population of Australia is like 25 million. And I think the state of California may be around that or even more. So uh, you've got a lot more states here in America that add up from a lot more people. So obviously just bigger economy, bigger industry, a lot more people that have bikes over here, a lot more people ride just because there's a lot more people. So obviously everything's a little bit smaller in Australia. Uh, the racing itself is, is really good. It's a great stepping stone for the girls, you know, that are riding and racing. But as far as support, you know, I'm sure there's girls there that, that get bikes and parts and, and maybe gear, but probably don't make any money. Growing up, I had a really good support from Yamaha, actually, and, and I got bikes, parts, gear, all that, but I had to get myself to the races. I didn't make any money, so that's why, you know, it was either go to the U.S. or go to Europe to kind of make a living out of, out of racing. Interesting, and of course, language barriers. The United States seems like an easier travel. Talk about your decision to come here. Yeah, yeah, so um, obviously the when I was kind of looking at, at coming over here you know I was 13 14 I guess I was on a 250f 
the WMX here in the US at the time was really strong. So obviously we followed that, but we also followed the WMX over in Europe. At the time that we were watching, there was actually a girl from New Zealand that was winning a lot. I think her name was Catherine Trump. So we followed that pretty heavily just because obviously New Zealand's just, you know, not that far away from Australia. But yeah, going to Europe would have been a huge language barrier. That was something that, you know, stopped me from even kind of pursuing that. And obviously my parents owning their own business, they're, you know, they were lucky enough to be able to travel back and forth and still are more than somebody that works a nine to five. And for somebody else, you know, you only get a couple of weeks of holidays for the year, but they couldn't obviously pack their bags and go with me for a whole year. And obviously being pretty young when I did come over, coming to the States was a little bit easier than going to Europe. So yeah, I'm kind of glad that I did come to the US. I would have loved to have maybe tried a WMX over in Europe at the you know, the time that I was racing motocross more heavily, but um, that didn't happen. But yeah, I'm happy I came to the US. I mean, it led you right here, right here to the Wild Ass Podcast. Yeah, it did. Yeah. <laughs> so glad. <laughs> so yeah. I don't think we touched on this. I want to hear all about the first racetrack you went to. In Australia or here? Yes, in, in Australia. Uh, well, it would have been that um, uh, mini bike club that I started at, Brook Mills Mini Bike Club. Um, as far as like maybe a, a sole motocross track, I would say it would have been, probably been Oakdale, JMCC, or um, Lower Mountains Motorcycle Club, which they're both an hour from where I grew up. They're not like famous known tracks, but there was a lot of good riders that, you know, used to ride and race and come out of those areas. I mean, because it's only an hour, hour or two from, you know, the heart of Sydney. So sure. they're pretty, uh, pretty well-known tracks in, in New South Wales. Okay. How do the tracks there yeah. compare to the ones here? The prep is totally different. Um, just I think, obviously, less people go in racing and less resources. You know, they don't prep them as good. The jumps are a lot smaller. Maybe, I'm not saying safer, but definitely a little smaller. Some of the the tracks over here are just a lot bigger, but obviously the competitive and more being more people and more competitors, the the level and the skill of the riders over here is is a lot higher. And especially, there's a lot. I mean, it's been going on for a long time, but even nowadays, you know, you have so many so many facilities and kids starting out at four and five years old racing, and even at that age, some kids are homeschooled. They don't even go to school. They're just you know, their family's one hundred and fifty percent in on riding and racing motorcycles so if you've got that much time to ride i mean you're pretty much you know going to be good i mean not always but i mean you've got a very good chance so uh that's kind of unheard of in australia everyone goes to school and you know you just ride and race after school or on the weekend so when you came to the states you said this was in 2011 were you sponsored at the time were you a professional were you an amateur what was the story of hey i'm gonna go do this Here's what we're going to do. How much support did you have to make that decision? Yeah. So kind of taking a step back in, in 2009, we were at the Australian motocross, the junior motocross titles at MAFRA and Colin Millsaps from MTS actually brought, I want to say Jordan, no, I think Jordan Smith came the next year. I think it might've been Carl Peters and Joey Savacci to Australia that year. And they obviously just killed everybody there. And that kind of opened a lot of people's eyes, like, oh, what's MTF? And that's our um, Millsap training facility down in Cairo, Georgia. And my dad got talking to Colleen and like, um, you know, Mackenzie's my daughter. She, you know, wants to eventually come over to the to the US. And Colleen's like, yeah, you should come, bring her to our facility in, in Cairo and, and just, 
you know, my, my dad seen how good these riders were and like, and he was like, you know what, it's worth a chance. Maybe go over, need some people, open up some doors for future opportunities. So that was in like October of 2009 and maybe the start of December, my dad and I went over for three weeks to MPF. Uh, we bought a bike and we rented a camper and uh, we stayed there for three weeks. And my dad was just like, wow, this is amazing. I think you should come back again in January. So I went home for Christmas and my mom actually came back with me for three weeks in January. And I also did a couple of local winter ends down in Florida. And yeah, that, that kind of opened up some doors. Uh, we met a lot of people. I kind of, you know, got my feet wet with doing some, you know, more local races, but I was still racing some pretty good fast girls at the time. At the time in Australia, I also had a, a, a very good Yamaha deal to kind of finish out my junior racing career, which ended at the two, end of 2011. So I went home back to Australia, finished out all of 2010 and 2011. And then obviously we still stayed in contact with um, Colleen Miltaps and MTF. And Colleen's like uh, the end of 2000, or end of every, each year is Mini O's, which is a big amateur race down in Gainesville, Florida. Yeah. So the end of 2011, we came back and yeah, we went to Mini O's. I didn't have any support. Uh, I just had that bike that we bought in the end of 2009. So it was the Yamaha 250F at the time. And I went to Mini O's and I actually won Supercross. And I think it crashed in the first um, outdoor motocross, the motocross race. So I think I went like nine, two for second overall or something. But a lot of people were like, who, who is this person? Like I remember um, after practice on the Supercross day, like, no one even looked at me when we lined up for practice, but after practice, like everyone was trying to talk to my dad, like, where are you guys from and all this? So it was pretty funny, obviously, going, me and my dad didn't know anybody other than the people that we had met at MTF. But um, yeah, I had no support at all and it took a while to really get support, even with good results. It was just, um, just tough coming in, you know, especially, I mean, the women now still don't get that much support as much as they should, let alone back then. And, and even at amateur level, just obviously you get less support you do at a professional level yeah i've been watching that for years and that is very true very yep. true so you came over here basically unknown on your own dime yep absolutely and super thankful that my parents worked very hard and were able to you know fund fund that you know just to help kind of pave the way for me to, to come over here not every kid gets that opportunity but uh yeah i'm really thankful that my parents were able to do that for me that's great so yeah. 2011, was it full season? You were here for the full year? No, no just um, I had to finish out the year in Australia with, with the Yamaha team. And obviously I was pretty young. I think I just maybe turned 16 in 2011 or maybe I was even still 15. So it was just, you know, probably smarter for me to, you know, grow up and mature a little bit before I came over to the States. So yeah, I just did mini O's in 2011. And then 2012, I raced for Redders. To kind of actually backtrack a little bit, we came to Minios in 2011. Everything went good at the race. On the way home, my dad's like, if you want to come back next year and race Loretta's, I think I'm going to leave you here for three weeks by yourself. I'm like, what do you mean? And uh, he's like, well, if you, if you want to race Loretta's, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm not going to be able to be here all the time with you. So he's like, I changed the flight. I'm going to fly home and you'll be here for three weeks by yourself. I'm like, okay. So he kind of gave me a quick rundown on, you know, how to look after my bike and everything that I needed and, you know, went home and <laughs> I was kind of left to figure it out myself. And um, it went good for like a week. And then I actually forgot to put oil in my bike. Um, oh, no. So I went off a jump on a site lap and uh, my bike seized up and 
broke my shoulder, split my knee open and actually stayed over here for another week and a half or, or so before I could fly home. <laughs> Pretty banged up. So that wasn't fun, but I'm always a, I've been a believer in learning the hard way. So I never jump any jumps on the first lap anymore. And I'll always double check that I have oil in my bike. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good um, lesson. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, then, you know, I came over in 2012. I obviously, you have to do the, the area and the regionals. So I came over, did an area. I was here for like three or four weeks, went home. And then I came back for two months, the middle of the year, right before Loretta's. I did a regional and then I stayed you know, and trained at MTF and went to Loretta's. That's what I was going to ask. Did you stay right at Millsaps? We've been there. My my son trained there for a while before okay. yeah. before you. So yeah, yep. the place was fairly new at the time. It wasn't near what I'm sure it was by the time you got there or is today. But they had a house or a place for the riders to stay, didn't they? You live right on, yeah, on so, scene. Yeah. So I, um, obviously being a female, Colleen wasn't about, obviously, and either was my parents me staying in a house full of boys especially being a teenager so I uh I actually had my own little cabin in 2012 and then I went back to also to MTF in 2013 and I bought like a small little uh toy hauler camper and I lived in that in 2013. Okay so to give anybody an idea of what the MTF is is it's a pristine campground with an epic motocross track there. Yes absolutely honestly I I mean I have some friends that have training facilities and I've been to some other training facilities here in South Carolina and MTF is definitely the top training facility in, in the country. Um, I know there's a lot of good places nowadays, but just the, their structure and their facility is unbelievable. And, and Colleen herself as a trainer is, is amazing. Like I obviously haven't been there for over 10 years now, but it definitely helped me a lot with, you know, technique and things like that. I obviously had a lot of training growing up in Australia, but just a lot of things that I didn't know. And yeah, just, it was a huge, I'm, I'm glad I was able to go to MTF for the, for the time that I was able to go there. Yeah, for sure. Do you still keep in touch with her? Have you talked to her or communicated with her at all? No, not really. I mean, I haven't, I haven't talked to her in quite a while. Obviously also being out of the motocross scene, I'm not going to even any amateur motocross races or anything like that. So I haven't really crossed paths with her for, for a long time. Okay. I'm just curious. Yeah. So you did the Loretta's thing. Yep. 2012. That worked out. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that- 2012, 12, I actually, uh, I went to Loretta's like, I knew it was obviously, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest races in the world. And obviously still being new, I'm like, oh, I'll just go with a, a, you know, let's go try and get a top five. I went, I got a third in the first moto. And the second moto I won and I was like, okay, oh my God, now I'm like in the driver's seat pretty much. If I win the next moto, I'll win the championship. <laughs> so all of a sudden my goal went from getting the top five to, all right, we've got to win. And I, my last moto, I think I was second off the start and I passed for the lead and I ended up going down in the Ten Commandments on like lap three. And the girl I needed to beat, I got up and the girl I needed to beat was right ahead of me. And we were in like eight or ninth and we moved through the pack and I just pumped up so bad and I could see her the entire race, but I just couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> um, so I ended up losing losing that year by by uh, one point, which kind of obviously I'm very competitive. I was pretty disappointed, but at the end of the day, I was also stoked that I met my goal of getting a top five. But if I had have known how far back she was, I, I would have probably just like chilled a little bit, maybe not as crashed, but I should have, would have, could have. 
but I made sure that didn't happen again by going and winning the next three years. That's right. Sticking it to her. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's awesome. You then raced uh, the professional WMX, right? Yeah. So I did Loretta's in 13 and then they, I was able to do it in 12 and they changed the rule that I could race it again in 13, 14 and 15. But I was able to race WMX in 2013. It was the last year that it was actually on pro day. And then they, you know, condensed the series from eight rounds down to three rounds. But I had a little bit of support through Rock River Yamaha at the time. And yeah, we raced on pro day. We had a moto in between the, the 250 and 450 pro motos. And then our last moto was at the end of the day at like six o'clock, you know, when the track was the gnarliest. But um, we still had, you know, manufacturer support and it was great. So I did that in 2013. My first race at Hangtown didn't go great. I was just more like caught, caught off guard by how many people were there. And I was pretty nervous. And then uh, we went to the second race at High Point and I rode really good. I actually was battling with Jessica Patterson and I had a lap to go. I was leading and I caught my knee in a rut and absolutely destroyed my knee. So I rolled the whole last lap and I ended up third. So it was still my first ever podium at a WMX. We couldn't line up for the next race. And I think we had three weeks or so to Southwick and I kind of rode a little bit and went to Southwick and went 2-2 and got my first podium. So I definitely achieved a lot in 2013. I ended up flying home. I actually flew after Loretta's, flew to X Games, raced two laps of X Games because my knee was so jacked and didn't finish X Games. But I literally, we raced X Games Saturday. I think we flew home to Australia Sunday night and I got my knee fixed that week and kind of rehabbed and then came back in 2014 for another year of WMX and everything was going really good. I won seven out of the first eight motos and we had a little break in the middle of the year. I needed to go home and get a visa sorted, like some immigration stuff and went home to Australia and was just doing a local race and spun out on my friend's bike and broke my elbow and yeah, kind of all went downhill after that. I never was really able to regain my motocross mojo. I, um, Obviously, I won Loretta's the next year in 2015. But as far as WMX, I kind of just was all a little bit downhill after that. And also from 2014 through 2016, when I did race WMX, it was not on pro day. So we didn't have any support. I, I, I got bikes and some parts and things like that. But I was paying out of pocket to go go racing and just making, you know, the, the contingency that anybody can make. So I wasn't making no living at the time, that's for sure. Sure. What got you into racing off-road then? And for yeah, for so, the listeners that don't know the difference, uh, motocross, supercross is one thing. Off-road is considered pretty much everything else. Yeah. So, yeah. So, since WMX kind of fell apart, in 2014, I think, I moved up to South Carolina from MCF, where I was staying in 2012 and 13, and um, was living with Jessica Patterson and Eddie Ray at the time. And Jess retired from motocross in 2013 and switched to off-road just kind of looking for something else. She knew that WMX was falling apart and she was able to land a, a ride for two years on a Yamaha team at local Travelers Rest. And um, obviously spending a lot of time with them, I've I seen, you know, the off-road opportunity and how strong, you know, KTM and, you know, those brands support off-road racing like the GNCC and Enduros and stuff on the East Coast. So in 2016, I kind of did a couple of races. I did... Uh, three GNCCs, I think, and I won two of them. So at that point, I was still racing WMX, but obviously not making very much money. So I kind of reached out to Auntie from KTM, and um, he had seen that I had you know, won a couple of GNCCs, and 
he gave me a support deal and then the rest is history. I didn't I didn't race WMX full time after that. So twenty seventeen was my first full year racing off road and I did I think I did do two or three WMXs that year, just I still had a little bit of motocross motocross rider in me, so I wanted to still race some. But then twenty eighteen onwards I was like full time off road. I raced the three series that are on the east coast and didn't really have time for anything else but off road and yeah, just kinda of been doing it since. So 2018 was your first year full-time off-road? Uh, 2017, but but I did race a couple of WMXs okay. as well. Okay, so yeah. you were full-time off-road, but you were overtiming on the motocross track. Yeah, I was doing a little bit of everything. <laughs> so, as I say, because that's pretty cool, because 2018, you were part of the winning 2018 Women's ISDE champ, or the, the women's team for the ISDE in Chile. Yeah, yeah, what? yeah I went to Chile. Um, yeah, in November, and that was something else. But yeah, as I say, explain the ISDE. It's hell. <laughs> it stands <laughs> for International hell. Six Days Enduro, right? Six days of racing. You get there a week before. You walk sun up to sundown every day before the race because you can't um, look at the test on anything other than foot. So it's a lot of walking, and then yeah, you start on you know Monday, and you race five days of enduro, or you know. Test, like different special tests and enduro like all through you might ride some on the road you might run ride no road just depends it's different every country but then uh, day six is uh, just a motocross race so day one and two you normally ride the same loop you know two times a day so four times over those two days and then day three and four are, are new days you normally do about three or four different special tests each day but you've got to you know stay on time and make it to those tests so you do a test maybe you ride 30, 40 minutes to another test, uh, kind of et cetera, et cetera. So it's a lot of riding. You also have 15-minute work period in the morning and the evening. After you get done, you got to work on your bike. You can't have any help from anybody other than fluids. They can change your oil, check your coolant, fuel your bike, things like that. So it's a, it's a lot. It was a great experience to do it. But, yeah, I did, I did Chile in 2018. I, I actually had a pretty good crash on day five that, that kind of uh, – I think it was maybe even day four. Um, it kind of ruined me for the following year. I went to um, Portugal in 2019, and after day two, I ended up calling it quits. And I know it made a lot of people mad um, not finishing, but I was just honestly had like PTSD from it. I had such a big crash in Chile, and I felt like I was laying out there in the middle of the woods, in the middle of uh, nowhere for, for minutes before anybody came. And just kind of, yeah, in 2019, when I went to Portugal, and I was, kind of living through that again out in, in a foreign country they're long days you're tired it's so it's mentally challenging i was just like i just don't want to this is not worth it to me so yeah that's that was kind of why i say like isd is hell <laughs> um but actually isd is happening right now there's a lot of people that love going and love representing their country and i appreciate that i was able to do that for australia and be on the winning team that one year so yeah they're actually in argentina right now and my husband, Dylan, is actually down there with Team USA. Um, he's a mechanic, and I think Team USA is actually doing really good. I think they're winning the women and winning the trophy team. Team Australia, the, the women, they they were winning yesterday, but I think they got a two-minute penalty today, which um, didn't help them for their overall. But it's only day two of six, so anything can happen, and every rider counts. So if anybody gets hurt or they, they have a bike issue, um, kind of game over. So it's uh, it's a lot. But yeah, that's kind of my little story on ISDE. That's cool. I've never talked to anybody that's done it. I've yep. only seen pictures of it. 
had no yeah. idea. No idea what it really was. I mean, I, I would love to do it again if it was in Australia or America, but all these, it's cool to race in a foreign country and stuff. But then you'll go, I mean, I'm an overthinker. I think about worst case scenario. What happens if I get hurt in this country or, you know, things like that. I probably think way too much than what I should, but yeah. Cool. It was definitely cool to go to you know Chile and, and Portugal and see places like that that I probably would have never gone, you know, had it not been for racing. Yeah, for sure. So that was 2018. At what point did you begin dominating all things women off road? <laughs> um, well, I never, I never actually dominated GNCC. I was able to win some races, but obviously GNCC being kind of the pinnacle of off road racing, especially on the East Coast. That's kind of like the top series. I was competitive, but never really was able to make it happen. I, I really struggle with the quad ruts and things like that because the quads race on Saturday, bikes race on Sunday. But as far as enduro, 2018, I did the full national enduro series and it is a little bit tighter than it's single track. Won a couple of races that year, but my fellow Aussie, Taylor Jones, she beat me in 2018. Um, in 2019, I don't know, I just, I guess I figured out Enduros and I was able to beat her nine of the 10 races and I kind of just went from there. I mean, I've won every, every year since. My most challenging year for winning Enduros was, was last year. I went head to head with Rachel Archer down to the last race. It was, we ended up tying for the championship and on all tie breakers, we, we tied. So, you know, if you tie for a championship, they go back to who has the most number of first, who has the most number of seconds, who has the most number of thirds. Well, Every tiebreaker that was possible, we tied in every way. So they didn't have a rule in the rule book. So they were like, well, I guess the best way that we could do it without making up a new rule is whoever wins the last race wins. So I was able to win the last race and then win the championship. So that was a little stressful. But And as far as uh, sprint enduros, um, obviously having a motocross background and more of a shorter sprint style speed, I was able to take to those pretty good been competitive um, in the sprints as well for the last five, six years that I've raced them. So explain a sprint. And then and then I want to go back to that tiebreaker story because I have some questions there. So what is a sprint yeah, so enduro? Sprint is um is off road. Uh, normally how the most of the sprint enduros work is, you know, over two days you race six tests on one day, six tests on the other day, and it's you know a cross test which is more of a motocross track or a grass track and then an enduro track which uh, enduro test, I should say, which is in the woods. Just, you know, race the clock, you know, go as fast as you can from point A to point B. And then whoever has the quickest time, you know, with the combination of all 12 tests at the end of the weekend wins the day. But another sprint series that I've been racing this year and last year, they actually just, um, combined it down to one day of racing. And you would do, um, you would do 10 tests, same, same exact thing, cross test and enduro test. And whoever was, you know, had the fastest time after those 10 tests. Uh, was a winner. That's crazy. So now yeah. I want to go back to the uh, the ties. These were full blown enduros, right? Yep. From what I remember of enduros, because I've only rode a couple, because it wasn't my thing. You had to average a certain speed, right? It used, I think, it was like twenty four miles an hour. Yeah, so that, then, that's how it used, used to be. Okay, so it's not that way anymore. Or maybe yeah, is that no, so, at the pro level it's different? No, um, so it did used to be like that, but um, since I've raced enduros. It's just been, you know, you get your different test mileage and whatnot. I mean, you have a, a key time, which is 9 a.m. or, you know, I, I would always make mine. So I, most of the time, the women's pro start um, at 9.18. So I would always change my route sheet so that my key time was, you know, 9.18. But, yeah, you take off, you, you have your, say, a 10-mile test, 
you just go as fast as you can from point point A to point B. You take a break, you get support if it's available, and then you've got to just make sure that you make it to your start of your next test by the time that your route sheet says you need to be there, basically. So you know you've got to stay on time throughout the day, but it's at the end of the t- end of the day, it's whoever's fastest. So you can go as fast as you can just from the start of the test to the end. But you obviously have to take off at your minute and then yeah, just get to the end as fast as you can and whoever has the fastest time for the weekend is the winner. Okay. So you take off, but you're you're not taking off by yourself, right? It's just maybe you and one or two or three other people? Uh, or are you by yourself? Five or six on, on the line with you. But in the professional classes, so, you know, Pro 1, Pro 2, and Women's Pro, there's no other person on your row in your class. They're normally a minute behind you or a minute ahead of you. Okay. Um, but the amateur races, the way that the sign-up and all that works, there might be a couple of people in your class on that row. And it's just, it's more of a, um, you know, you kind of look at who's in the class or who's in your on your row in what class and you kind of, you know, when you first get to the side of the first test, you say, hey, like, you know, how do you, how do you ride or whatever? And you just kind of go by that. If somebody, you're holding somebody up, you let them by. If they're holding you up, hopefully they let you by. Yeah. Okay. So I remember that. So literally you and this girl you're tied with, you're not, you never see each other in the woods. So you're both going no. as fast as you can go and you are both exactly as fast week after yep. week after week is what you're saying, right? Yep. That's pretty intense. Yeah, well, pretty pretty close. The only time I've seen Rachel last year is at Indiana Enduro. I think in the second test, she was a minute ahead of me and I was able to catch her. But that's not normally normal. I mean, maybe she went down or or, or whatnot. I'm also pretty good at that, that race. So, yeah, that was pretty awesome. You know, if you're catching somebody from a minute behind, you know, you, you know you're at least a minute faster or, or close to a minute. So, right. Uh, yeah, but most of the time, you don't ever see them. It's just like, Hopefully, you know, once the times load or I would always, if I'm ahead of the girls that I'm, you know, waiting for, I will wait at the end of the test and kind of watch my watch and, and kind of see how far they they are behind me in case, you know, the live timing doesn't sometimes update for, you know, a while, depending on where the test is, you know, with phone service and things like that. So I would always wait and check and kind of get a rough estimate like, oh, okay, they beat me or I have a little bit of time on them. It's always good to know. Oh, for sure. If you can relax a little bit, sometimes you even ride a little faster, but you know you don't have to push so hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's crazy. I didn't know that about being tied and tied and tied and tied and tied, going all the way down to the very last week. That's impressive. Yeah. Because you think back, that's literally one blown corner from a championship. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or lappers. Lappers are a big, a big game changer in every every off-road race, even motocross, some obviously just have a little bit more room for movement on a motocross track. But yeah, lappers are a big challenge in all of off-road and they can help you or hurt you. So learning to negotiate around or ride around lappers is also a skill in itself. Yeah, for sure. But on a motocross track, you know who your competition is. Like they started at yep. the same time you did. So where you, where yeah, you guys, exactly. what you girls are doing is like ridiculous. Yep, Exactly. I mean, honestly, just go as fast as you can. That's, <laughs> that's all it came down to. Go as fast as you can without crashing and um, just kind of see where you end up. Sometimes my going as fast as I can without crashing is not good enough. Sometimes I do really good. It just it really depends. Like actually this year, I think it was round six. It was in Pennsylvania. It was really rocky. I went as fast as I could every single test, and I lost every single test. I got caught. Um, like I was saying, I caught Rachel 
I actually got caught by another Rachel who's really good in the technical stuff. I got caught by her from a minute behind. She was a minute behind three out of the five tests, which has never happened to me before. I never got caught in an enduro. I was having a bad day and it was super technical, but I was going as fast as I could. And that's, it was making me obviously pretty mad. I'm like, I just, I can't do any better. And uh, obviously she's very good in that stuff. So, and a hat off to her, but yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah. Let's see. You explain the difference between Zenduros and sprints. Let's see. Think? Yeah. So, I mean, Enduros are just long, more mileage, normally like 50, 60, 70 miles at Enduro. You never race the same trail, so it's all blind trail. Um, you can't look at it, follow those bright orange arrows. The sprint track is normally a three-mile cross test, a three-mile enduro test, and you you can bicycle, walk, whatever you got to do to check the track out as many times as you like, and then you race it six times on the weekend or depending on what series you're racing, maybe ten times over the weekend. So you, the sprints, they get a little bit more beat up just obviously because it's a shorter track and more people riding those tracks over and over again, whereas the enduro everybody just rides at one time but it is longer days and, and more mileage but it is also racing blind trails so going as fast as you can as well as reading the arrows reading the terrain and you know staying safe obviously there'll be drop-offs here and there and things to watch out for that you're not you know you haven't seen before you're racing it so that's kind of the difference yeah and it's funny you say 60 70 miles and i would like to invite any of the listeners to just go on YouTube and, and search Mackenzie Tricker and watch these trails that they're riding. And you girls are flying. And yeah. this is stuff that you haven't seen before. And that's yeah. what that's what people need to look at when they watch these videos. I'm not a terrible dirt bike rider, but I watch what you guys are doing and I'm like, how do you process information that fast? It's crazy. Yeah. It's so cool to watch. So it definitely takes time. I was actually just talking to some friends the other day. Um I raced a full gas in 2016 and I cracked every single enduro test like just on routes and things like that so back then like a goal for me was to make it through an enduro test which was three miles you know the, the enduro test that the sprint was two three four miles a goal for me was like to make it through a test without crash and obviously still going as fast as I can but when I started you know making it through some sprints without crash I'm like heck yeah I'm doing good and even when I was doing DNC I mean, even nowadays, I mean, with lappers and, and racing over two hours, if you can make it to a DNC without a tip over, you're doing good. So for the longest time, I obviously couldn't do that. But I, I did end up making a few DNCs there for a while without crashing, which was a, a, an accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you, it, there's a lot of things that will catch you off guard when you're riding in the woods. For sure. So yeah. as yeah. of, are, are you done for the season? Yep, yep. I just finished the last sprint race this past weekend, so I'm done. So done for the year, and from what I understand, retiring from professional racing. Yes, that's correct. Yep, so I'm done, and yeah, just decided to it's time to hang the boots up. And what's next? So I <laughs> I know what your full time job is. Do you do you have yeah. anything planned coming up, or is it full time job now? Um, yeah, no, I don't really have anything planned. Um, yeah, so I have a full time job uh, working at the BMW US Rider Academy in. Rio, South Carolina, which is about 30 minutes from where I'm based in Traveler's Rest. I have actually been there working since the middle of 2021, but obviously juggling kind of racing and sponsorships and things like that, and some kind of brand clashes, I would say, in some ways. Um, not too many people know that I've actually worked there. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of my, I've obviously been doing it for a long time now, a couple of years, but 
yeah, I'm full time there and I, I enjoy being able to kind of share my knowledge and writing history with a lot of different people of all different levels and from all different places and, and countries. And yeah, just honestly also learn about the, the different bikes. I had never rode an adventure bike until I went to BMW. So it was a lot for me to learn, obviously riding a small dirt bike for a long time and having some background. It wasn't a huge challenge, but it was still obviously your, your, now riding a bike that's 550 pounds, let alone something that's, you know, 200, 220 pounds. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun. I really enjoy the people that I work with and, you know, I get to even work with people like you. So yes, it's a great job to have. And, um, I always said, you know, I wouldn't quit, you know, racing until I had something kind of a step away to. And when I went to BMW and had a job interview with Aaron back in 2021, that's kind of what I, he's like, why, why do you want to work here? And I said, I mean, I'm kind of looking after motocross, you know, or after racing. And I obviously want to stay involved in the industry. I don't want to just go and get a nine to five office job or something like that. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. So that must have been early 21, because it seems like maybe it was 22. Now that I think about it, when no, did, it uh, we got to I ride together an, in the Black well, Hills. I had an um, interview in May of 2021, and I think I started working in July. Okay. And then the trophy where I met you the first year was September. So I was still really new working there in 21 when I met you. Yep, that's right. Yeah. And then in 22, yeah. Adventure Fest in the Black Hills, we got to actually go riding together. Yep, yep. Sure, just we got to go riding. So, yeah, that's one of the cool things about working there is obviously we get to go to the rallies and cool events like that. And I'd never been to that part of the country before then, so that was really cool. Well, hopefully we all get to do that next year. Yeah, I hope so. And yeah, mate, we won't talk about what happened on that ride. <laughs> Just make sure that you, if you put uh, your your key key fob in a box full of water, you put it in a Ziploc bag. You learn the hard way, right? Yep, learn the hard way. And yep, uh, yep. I just remember getting gas and uh, you turned around and said, hey, no tagging me in any pictures. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, when I did you know go and talk to Aaron and you know try and get the job at BMW I went to auntie at KTM I was running KTM at the time I'm like hey I have a job opportunity go work for BMW obviously I make pretty good money racing dirt bikes but I obviously don't make any money Monday through Friday kind of thing everything's on the weekend he's like yep no worries just obviously he's like I just don't want you to be marketed hugely riding another brand I'm like I, I understand that he said you'd be surprised how many people that race for us or work for us are also associated with other brands you just don't obviously don't know about it because people don't post on social media things like that so yeah yeah pretty much from december 1st my gas gas contract is up so you'll probably see a little bit uh more of bmw stuff on my instagram and social media <laughs> yeah. so full-time instructor at the bmw school and i got to spend well i guess i was with you for three days because we were there as the prep course for two days and then uh, private one-on-one, the two of us for yep. a day. And it was great. It's always great to learn motorcycling from a motorcyclist. Yep. You know, it's you can learn things from teachers, but it's different when they're not doing the same thing. But then to even up it a little bit further, and I've found this with all of the instructors I've worked with at BMW, but that last day when we were together to learn skills that, you know, it's like I knew how to do it, but I couldn't figure it out. But you being yep. a dirt biker, 
same as my background, you were able to explain it in a way that it just clicked. And then there was one thing that we both struggled with that stupid balance beam. And uh, you're like, man, I don't know. So then you started practicing. We just did it together. And you're like, oh, got it. Here's what we're doing. And you're, you said, Hey, try this. And I think I got it four four times in a row. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, that is a challenge. Obviously, you know, watching someone and picking up on what they're doing, you, you can pick up from, you know, obviously a lot of the time you can pick up what they're doing, but sometimes you'll see something and obviously more of a advanced exercise like that. It's not something to teach all the time. So that day, I mean, everything to me looks really good that you were doing uh, riding that balance game and you're like, I'm just struggling. I'm like, I don't know. Let me ride it. And I was kind of struggling with the same thing. And then I was like, finally quick, like, look just, I mean, obviously eyes up and look ahead helps with everything. But I was looking ahead, but it's like, kick my eyes up even more. And I started like mastering it over and over and over again. I'm like, hey, do this. And then that's what kind of was helped you as well. So that is also a good thing about obviously writing or doing private. Uh, we get to write a little bit more and, you know, practice and, you know, work on more advanced techniques uh, with people like you. Uh, plus, through our regular classes, we, we go through our curriculum, which obviously is great for everybody, even to kind of, if they are a good rider, refresh their skills, or a beginner rider that's, you know, learning to ride a motorcycle. So, yeah, I really, really enjoy um, my, my job now. <laughs> it's awesome. That's good. And, and it shows, you know, throughout the trophy prep course, our time together, and then throughout the actual qualifier, that's your element. That's your happy place. It shows. So I'm super yeah. happy you got that job. Yeah, thank you. To talk about the course or the the school, you know, this isn't a BMW anything, but I have told so many people, you need to go do that. You don't even crash your own bike. But you had said something about teaching, you know, all skill levels. Can you take a total beginner? Do you guys do that there? Yeah, yes, absolutely. I mean, we even offer like an MSF class. So somebody that never, ever rode a motorcycle, you know, we offer a class like that. And then our off-road programs, our one- and two-day programs, and then even our on-road one- and two-day programs, they're for all different skill levels. Obviously, you need to be able to let your clutch out, things like that. Use your brakes to some extent. But, you know, we have people that, especially for off-road, have rode maybe – we actually just had a guy recently that had put a 1,000 miles on a motorcycle. He said in the MSF class he, he broke his leg. So, obviously, when he said that, I was like, oh, man – like, how do you break your leg in MSF class? Maybe it was just a bad luck incident. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he said, I've only rode a thousand miles, I'm like, okay. And he said, I've never rode off-road. I'm like, okay, well, that honestly sometimes isn't a bad thing if you've never rode off-road because you don't have any bad habits. But then honestly, it maybe it could also go the other way. If you've only rode on-road, you have a lot of on-road riding habits, which is sometimes a challenge going off-road. But sure. this guy, honestly, he did really good. You know, we start out, obviously, a very basic exercises with our slow ride trial stops and everything kind of um, builds on itself after that. So yeah, there's no no specific riding ability needed. It's you know, yeah, it's a great program and everybody gets gets something out of it. Even if you're a good rider, you you may pick up on something that even if you've done the course before, you, you know, it's hard over two days to pick, uh, you know, and remember everything that you do. So maybe if you've done the class and you are a good rider, you come back for a second or third time, you're like, damn, I don't remember that from the first time. So you're always going to re- you're always going to pick up or learn something, and it's always also really good to you know just always refine those skills. It's perishable, and you know yourself, you probably realize you take even a couple of weeks, a month, or maybe even more. You get a little rusty, and yeah, so it's good to you know it's good to ride, and yeah, like I said, it's 
the courses are made for really any school level. It's always good to get back out in an area with instruction. Yeah, I'm a firm believer of that. Yeah. Plenty of times where you think, oh, I'm doing good. And then um, even you see maybe a video of yourself and you're like, what was I doing? It didn't didn't feel like it looked, you know? Absolutely. I think we've talked about quite a bit of stuff. I think we talked, I think we got a pretty good story out of this. So anything we want to talk about that you can think of that I have not touched on? Uh, Not really. I mean, kind of, uh, that's pretty much it, I think. That doesn't mean we're done because (laughs) (laughs) my personal favorite part of the show, you said you haven't listened, which is good yeah, and bad, right? Because, oh, you're not listening. But no, it's good because I have my favorite part of the show, which is five questions. Yep. And I've actually added a question. You did not get the new one, but uh, Hmm. I have 20 questions and then I take a randomizer wheel on the computer, put one through 20 in it, spin it, and then you get any, you know, it's totally random five questions out of the 20 or now 21. All right. So they are usually motorcycle related, not always, but they're designed to get you to think. Okay. So prepare to be stumped. Maybe you won't be. Uh Uh-huh. So are you nervous? No, not really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So the five questions. Question number one, what topic would you speak about if you were asked to give a TED talk on something that is outside of your main area of expertise? A TED talk? Um, probably, you know, like positive thinking or something about mental health. That's good. I've not had that yeah. answer before. Yeah. I mean, just because I've struggled with it personally. Okay. (laughs) Yep. Question number two. What is the book or books you have given most as a gift? A book that I've given as a gift. I don't don't think I've ever given a book as a gift. (laughs) (laughs) And if that's the case, that's the case. What's funny about that is I believe that question has come up on the last two podcasts, both with the same answer. Yeah, yeah, I don't think about it. And it may, maybe a cookbook for my mom or something for Christmas one year, but I, I mean, I don't know. A cookbook it was. I don't think that counts as a book, really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this one interests me. When this one came up, I was excited. Question number three. What is the best advice you have received as a motorcyclist? Um, photos on the right. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, don't, I I really don't know. Um, yeah, it's just think positive. I would say. There's just so that's a hard question because there's so much advice that over the years helped me. Yeah, that's a that, difficult one. That's why I say I was curious to see how you were going to answer that one. Yeah, no, I, I really don't know. Someone that has gotten a ton of advice. Yeah. So, question number four: When you think of the word successful. Who is the first person who comes to mind and why? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe someone like Chad Reed. Um, obviously, he's an Australian and, uh, you know, he made a pretty good career out of motocross riding and come from a little small town north of Sydney. And, yeah. But then when I think about him, I also leads me to think about Jet Lawrence. <laughs> who's doing the same thing. Both those boys, Jet Jet and Hunter, both are doing the same thing, kind of following in Chad's footsteps, maybe even going to be better than Chad uh, was. So, And they're both Australian. So, but yeah, probably probably Chad and Jet, Lawrence. Okay. Question number five. 
Final question. What is one thing on your anti-bucket list? Anti-bucket list? Yeah, everybody's got a bucket list. What would be on your anti-bucket um, list? Like something I don't want to do? Correct. Um, probably skydive again. <laughs> you say again. I when I was, yeah, I skydive when I was 16, but um, I'm pretty scared about it again now. And um, just actually last week or the week before, we had um, two skydive instructors in one of our classes and uh, Ricardo and Aaron, who obviously you know who Ricardo and Aaron is, but um, our chief and lead instructor at BMW, yeah, Ricardo, and, Ricardo and Aaron, they're like, we need to go skydiving, we should all go. And I'm like, I am not going. They're like, well, if, uh, if I'm going or we're all going, you're going too. And I'm like, no, nah, I can't. I just, I don't know why you'd, you'd be kind of surprised, but obviously the amount of flying I, I do, they're probably... Just only recently, I've kind of conquered my fear a little bit of, of flying, but uh, I went through a terrible like 10 years. I would hate flying, and I obviously have to fly to go home and fly to go to a lot of places. So I've never had a crazy anything crazy happen. I just developed a massive fear of flying. So, yeah, I don't know. I said I'd want to go skydiving again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Super random, but yeah. That's okay. Random is usually the best answer. Yeah. So that about wraps it up. Do you have any final parting words for the listeners? If you do ride motorcycles and you're looking to uh, maybe invest in some training, come down to the BMW Performance Center in in Drea, South Carolina. You can ride, uh, you know, obviously ride our bike, liability free, catch them as much as you want, learn as much as you can and have some fun. I can attest to that. To elaborate just a little bit on that, when you go to the BMW Performance Center, and you pay to take their course, you take the course on their motorcycle that you choose. So, of course, a BMW, but if you, let's say, tip it over and pop the mirror, or the not the mirror, but you pop the blinker out of place and you break off a lever early in the morning and then a little bit later in the morning, you tip it over the other way and break off the other lever. When you go back to have lunch, Mackenzie will have this guy just magically replace everything by the time you get out of lunch. And there's no, <laughs> yep. no additional cost. It's great. So for sure, if you're looking to get into riding, you want to take any training, I highly recommend them. Can they request you as an instructor? They can. They can request me. Perfect. And I can yep. attest to that being a good instructor as well. Yeah, I appreciate it. So where can the listeners follow you? Instagram. Uh, I kind of, I have Facebook, but I kind of keep it to more post friends and things like that but i post a lot of stuff on instagram my instagram handle is uh ken tricker or you can type in my full name mackenzie tricker and i'm sure it'll bring bring me up but yeah post a lot of videos photos and things that i'm up to on my instagram and i will put a link to that down in the show notes folks if you have any guest requests or you would like to join me on an episode of the wild ass podcast reach out to me just shoot me a message social media of course i am wild ass craig so find me there But if you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. You can follow the adventures on Facebook or Instagram by looking for The Real Wild Ass. And of course, again, I am Wild Ass Craig. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you again in a couple weeks. And of course, thank you again, Mackenzie, for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me.